Now, children, do you remember what the good book says about the following podcast? That's right. It may contain spoilers for the movie Night of the Hunter. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes and try to improve them. I'm your host, Adam, and this week's movie is The Night of the Hunter. So, dear friends, join us leaning on the everlasting arms and let's get diabolical. Greetings and welcome to this week's pod. Joining me, as always, are Gaz, Craig, Ben, in the guise of the panel of peril. They will compete at the end of the show to see who can prove the villainous plot of the week and earn the honour of picking next week's film and become host. Before we get started, I would like to ask the panel, what is your favourite film that is shot in black and white? My favourite film, shot in black and white, is Ed Wood. Nice. Are we going to introduce ourselves or now? Nah? I've introduced you in the thing, so everybody should know your, your voices by now, hopefully. Oh, if they're a first-time listener. Yeah, I've been told we all sound the same as well. All right, I'll go again. Hi, I'm Ben, and my favourite black and white film <laughs> is Ed Wood. <laughs> Hi, I'm Craig, and my favourite black and white movie is The Maltese Falcon. Ooh, very nice. That is a good one. Yeah, Maltese Falcon's awesome. Yeah, for modern ones. Edward is great. I love Edward. Gaz here. My favourite film shot in black and white is Night of the Living Dead. Ooh, that is... I thought you were going to say Night of the Hunter. I didn't, because I've read his letterbox reviews. <laughs> so have I. <laughs> well, Night of the Living Dead came a close second, but I thought Gaz would probably say that, so I thought I'd go for probably the film I've watched most, which starts like this. It's been a hard day's night. Help. <laughs> Are you all right, Ben? Do you need some help? Do you need somebody? Not just anybody. Do you remember when we did uh, help and I insisted that Turner and I do the harmonies because nobody else was doing them? <laughs> yeah. Now, didn't we do it in our last, on the production for when we finished A-level? Yeah. <laughs> wasn't it? Wasn't it that one? Yeah. We wrote some of our own songs and we did, and we did uh, uh, yeah. some stuff like that, didn't we? Uh, did we do Tragedy? Yes. Yes. It wasn't for a final performance. It was for a, it was, it was like for a parents' night or something. And something didn't like we that. do like the, we did the Shakespeare in Loughborough and Gaz dropped his pants and Ian Williams went mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't do that in rehearsal, so you don't do it on the night. No, <laughs> yeah, not it. only that. But I, my final line in Shakespeare was, to the casting couch. <laughs> <laughs> the Night of the Hunter is a 1955 thriller based on the 1953 book of the same name by Davis Grubb. Starring Hollywood screen legends Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters, Night of the Hunter is set in West Virginia during the Great Depression. Film centers on misogynistic serial killer and folk preacher pal, played by Mitchum, as he travels along the uh, as he travels along the Ohio. Ohio is one of the tougher, longer state Fuck. names. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the film centres on misogynistic serial killer and faux preacher Powell, played by Mitchum, as he travels along the Ohio River doing God's work by murdering widows and separating them from their money. While in prison for a conviction of driving a stolen car, Powell shares a cell with Ben Harper, played by Peter Graves, a.k.a. Jim Phelps from Mission Impossible, who has killed two men in a bank robbery to steal $10,000 to feed his wife and kids. Harper has made his children promise never to reveal where his money is, and despite efforts from Powell, Harper is executed, taking the secret with him to his grave. After his release from prison, Powell makes his way along the Ohio River to track down Harper's unsuspecting wife and kids to attempt to get his hands on that money. Night of the Hunter was released on the 26th of July, 1955 in Des Moines, Iowa, and was a commercial and critical flop at the time of release. Critics and audiences alike cited its religious blasphemy, degrading the sanctity of marriage, its excessive arty appearance, and threat to children content. Retrospectively, time has been kind to Night of the Hunter, and it is regularly rated highly in lists of greatest films of all time. Several notable directors have also cited the film's influence on them, including Robert Altman, Martin Scorsese, and the Coen brothers. At the 1955 Academy Awards, On the Waterfront is named Best Picture, and star Marlon Brando is named Best Actor, while Grace Kelly picked up a gong for Best Actress for her performance in The Country Girl. Notable films include Rebel Without a Cause, To Catch a Thief, Lady and the Tramp, Guys and Dolls. Guys and Dolls. Is this section usually this long? It's been going for about 15 minutes. It's been going since 1955. <laughs> Give me a rest. I'm just about to get to you guys now. All right. The Unstoppable Juggernaut, that is, yeah or mare, continues on its path of destruction, crushing all segments that stand in its way. We are taking a slightly different angle this week. A Dutch angle, <laughs> I hear you say. <laughs> No, 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 don't be so bloody stupid. The 1950s was the decade that gave us rock and roll and youth culture revolution. It was also the golden age of advertising. Some truly unforgettable products, recipes and advertisements were created that would change the world we know forever. I have some examples and would like to hear the panel give me a yeah for something they believe is genuine 1950s fair or a mare for a potential red herring that I may have deviously inserted. <laughs> Was that the first product, red herring? Mare. <laughs> right, so here we go. The U-238 Atomic Energy Lab. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it might be one of those kids' science toys that they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have had it, and you're quite right, Or It was designed for kids to discover atomic energy at home. It came with four different types of uranium ore and a Geiger counter. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Holy moly. Fortunately, it was so expensive at the time, at $50, there there was very few sold between 1951 and 52. Obviously, the uh, uranium ore and things like that now has has subsided, and it's very, very, very collectible, apparently. Okay. Wow. Mamo Manufacturing Company, Betsy Bottenburp. Yeah. Meh. Meh. It sounds like it might be a made-up one from a movie. It is a made-up one. Well done. Yeah, it's a fake product, but a real company. The company was responsible for hula hoops. 
That's uh, the Hudsucker Company, isn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, well, yes, of course. Hudsucker Proxy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you were. I was like, oh, that's interesting. How about this for a um, recipe, a jellied tomato refresher? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you could have made that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. It's, it's absolutely disgusting as well by the looks of it. <laughs> Ingredients include gelatin, beef stock, tomato juice, lemon juice, sweetener, garlic salt, and Worcester sauce. So, winging. Is it vegan? It's got beef stock in it. And gelatin. So it probably come from an animal. It's a little vegan humour for you there, ladies and gents. <laughs> <laughs> right, I've got some uh, advertising lines here that, in similar vein. Are they fake? Are they a yet? Or are they a meh? Vaseline, so pure you can eat it. Check for the trademark. Yeah. 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 Correct. Christmas morning, she'll be happier with a hoover. Yeah. Yeah. Meh. Oh, it's a yeah. It's a yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you were asking us to comment on whether she would be happy with a hoover on Christmas. <laughs> Happier with a hoover than she would be eating Vaseline. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Women, keep your Mimsy clean. A daily wash with new Lux kebab soap. Meh. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a fake one. <laughs> Armour's Vienna Sausage. Once I saw them, I naturally thought of him. Not your regular-sized wiener, but still able to satisfy. Yep. Meh. I want it to be yeah, but it's meh. It's a meh. <laughs> Danger. Don't spread disease by finger licking. Yeah. Yep. Meh. It is, yeah, it is. KFC up. <laughs> it's libraries to do with uh, licking your fingers and flicking a page. Yeah, yeah. Free for chubbies. Fall and win a fashion book full of charming chubby size clothes. <laughs> I think, yeah. 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 It is, yeah. It's, from a, com- it's a company called Lane Bryant. <laughs> Can I please have your thoughts on the film? Craig. Do you not want Gaz to go first and get his... No, I want a shit sandwich, so I'm <laughs> trusting that you're going to give it a good review. Gaz, after that, will give it a shit review, and then Ben will encapsulate the shit in another good review. Okay. So, I'll be honest, it didn't start off well. No. My first reaction to the opening was, what the fuck is this Bohemian Rhapsody shit? <laughs> and then my... Yes! That's what I wrote. That's what I got as well. The next note that I made was pretty piss poor editing. Yes. And then the third note that I made was nauseating helicopter footage. Mm. Yeah. Violently shaking. And also, I, I put here, the score is quite heavy handed. But then, clearly, I've twigged what's going on because after this, all my notes are very positive. All of those things that I mentioned before, I thought these are the hallmarks of bad storytelling, bad filmmaking until I realized that this movie wasn't trying to tell you know a straight narrative a dramatization that it's a fairy tale and then all those things came into context in my mind and i thought okay i can understand why those choices were made now and actually i ended up really liking it good yeah my um first note was three minutes dead body so (laughs) (laughs) how many killings yeah yeah Gaz, let's get your uh, bit out of the way and then you can um, go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just show you, I've got a book. 
by the side of me for the rest of the pod until he gets the plunge. <laughs> <laughs> and he really does have a book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really good book. Far better than Night of the Hunter. Uh, <laughs> my thoughts were basically the exact opposite of Craig's. I, I really enjoyed the opening up until the train carrying uh, Dickhead arrives in town. And then it's basically just... Um, what what's he called? The counselor from South Park just saying, Oh, religion's bad. Okay. Okay. Just over and over again. It's like, yeah, I know that. That might have been quite a clever thing and a daring thing in nineteen fifty-five. But in twenty twenty-two, I've seen this done a million times and far, far better. And I don't like nineteen fifties melodramatic acting, which to a man everybody is acting in melodrama it's not to my taste mm-hmm. the score is okay i didn't didn't mind the score cinematography i watched a, a criterion Same, uh, restoration yeah. and it yeah. is a, a, a very good looking film i'll give it that especially like the the riverboat scene with the tight close-ups of the toad or whatever it is and yeah yeah all the different animals yeah can we get your thoughts on it ben before we start yeah i, I think i'm somewhere in the middle of gaz and craig yeah one of my first notes is severed children's heads at the beginning are very unsettling the shaky helicopter footage wasn't great and it was it was hammy acting. One of the notes I've got here is the art of filmmaking has come a long way in terms of technique. Mm. As Craig said, the editing was really jarring at times. And then there's like these really short kind of 10 second scenes and it was supposed to like give you a, enough of the, the story to, to get be getting on with. And I just felt it was all a bit hasty. There were scenes later on that were really way too long and they could have used that time earlier to kind of, for example, the... Uh, the widow uh, Willa to show her kind of her change. It just happened way too suddenly. I think they could have spent a bit more time there kind of developing that. But I really enjoyed what the director tried to do. There's some really nice Irish shots as well. I think probably for the time it must have been kind of groundbreaking. I think he went out and he really, he tried new things and I, I think a lot of them were. In terms of the melodramatic acting that you both picked up on, that was one of the things early on that I thought, okay, I'm not enjoying this, but when I twigged that they were going for a fairy tale, that all fits in with that. So that's where my problems with that sort of evaporated. And then the other thing, it's not a religion is bad and K story because the woman who saves the children is also religious and she sings the same song. Yeah, and she's awful too. <laughs> Why is she? Did you not think? No, not all. No, they're supposed to be like yin and yang. They're supposed to both have the same kind of belief but then maybe it's just my anti-religious beliefs but i i found her just as awful as robert mitchum to be perfectly honest charles lawton as a homosexual man had problems with religion yeah but i i think that he's quite even with his portrayal of it in this i didn't think it was a those two are complete opposites and that's obviously why they're there they're kind of to counter each other yeah Mm. (laughs) (laughs) initially you think when the kids escape, that um, that birdie, Uncle Birdie, is going to help them. Mm. But he, after he sees Willa in the the river, yeah. he's beside himself because he thinks they're going to they're going to think it's him, and obviously he drinks himself into a stupor. That shot's incredible as well here in the river. That is incredible. Oh my god! Did you like that, Gaz? You must have liked that bit. Yeah, I, I just thought not. Not very well hidden. <laughs> thought that sprung into but my it was mind. beautiful, and uh, and then when <laughs> when they did the, the shot from under the water, and then when they did it from on top, his perspective as well. I was just like, 
holy shit this is a good looking film it's it was very yeah. well done gorgeous i was yeah. able to enjoy it even though it was unrealistic because it's not meant to be realistic and that's what i had twigged yeah it wasn't supposed to be realistic yeah and like you see the uh the, the river weed the pond weed yeah flowing the same as the hair it was really yeah. well framed it's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic i loved it when the kids was were sleeping in the barn as well yeah in the distance you see the the preacher riding on the horse that framing oh, was yeah. fantastic the use of silhouettes and framing in this movie is something else you know and you can and then obviously they've got the musical foreboding and stuff elements to it yeah. as well and it really hammers home and you can imagine being in a 1950s audience probably some of them within like i said the first three minutes they would probably be leaving the cinema quite quickly and especially when the preacher comes and he's threatening the children and then he's, he's using his religion in a way that a lot of people at the time wouldn't have been very comfortable with. yeah you can imagine a lot of them getting up and leaving straight away yeah thing is he doesn't just use his religion as, a, as an in with people either he uses just his charm and mm. with certain people he uses his sexual magnetism mm. and his voice yeah. Well, that's it. I think that's why Robert Mitchum was like a, uh, an inspired piece of casting, really, because mm. like I said in the, in the introduction, Lawton picked him because he was this, um, you know, Hollywood icon and like mm. modern day, I don't know, George Clooney. He was a bit younger than George Clooney at the time, I guess, when he made his. But um, what I think personally, the standout performance in the movie is Shelley Winters, who just straight from her first scene when she's in the shop with Icy and the other fella, she's looks like she's contemplating. She's looking off into the distance quite a lot. And she's actually thought about the role a little bit. And she wasn't cast until actually initial filming began two weeks before it started. Yeah, again, her performance is overtly melodramatic with a lot of emoting mm. but that fits with the tone of the movie and, mm. and, and i agree it's, it's a great performance the standout for me was the boy mm. he had a lot to carry mm. in this film and I, I think he did it really well yeah just going back to you talking about the use of shadow i just remembered i saw a funny thing which i didn't quite understand when i was googling about the film it said it's unusualness draws influence from german expressionism Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And Mother Goose? Is that a film, Mother Goose? Has anybody heard of that? Is it like a book of like nursery rhymes, Mother Goose? What does that have to do with Night of the Hunter? I don't know, maybe it was a style that they tried to encapsulate in it, I suppose. It does seem rather otherworldly. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was a strange... Uh... There is a bit, now that you've said that, where Cooper is leading the children down the riverbank and it's shot side on and it keeps cutting to them and it's always side on. That's very Mother Goose. She's like a, a mother goose yeah. leading three chicks. That's maybe what they mean. Uh, right. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Would you agree with this following statement? I found the film to be a spiritual prequel to Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got more DNA in common with something like No Country for Old Men, but I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you're getting at. But they don't, the, the kids, a lot of guts, but they, they don't have the, the, to stand up to them, but they actually don't do anything. They just hide, don't they, and escape. They haven't got any booby traps. That's the only thing that's lacking is the booby traps. Yeah, that's it. Got a shotgun. Nail him right in the head and shoulder with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Gaz, do you have a favourite quote? <laughs> I do actually have a couple. Ooh. The dad, Ben when he gets home with his big fistful of money <laughs> and he's just speaking to himself really fast. He's like, listen, John, this money we got to hide before they get to me. There's close to 10,000 here. Where? Behind the rock in the smokehouse. No, no, no. In the wicks behind the grape harbor. No, they dig it up. Sure. That's the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's like, yeah. 
It's just like, okay, that's a really fast inner monologue being spoken out loud. You uh, mentioned earlier that Peter Graves was uh, the lead in the Mission Impossible TV series. Jim Phelps. He was also the pilot in Airplane. Yes, yes, of course he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I know him from, yeah. One, I'm assuming this is from Harry. I didn't know who it was. Salvation is a last-minute business, boy. That was quite a good line. Yeah. And then Miss Spoon... She's got this habit of elongating the last words in a weird way, like a wicked witch. So the one that I've got written down is, you don't get a smidgen of my fudge unless you stay for the picnic. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. She cranes her head down, but her eyes are up and she's got this weird little rictus grin on her face. Yeah, It's like, you are weird. (laughs) She, if anything, is meant to be the moral warning against religion in this. Mm -hmm. because. You know, clearly he's unhinged and he'd be doing what he was doing, whether he had religion or not. If it wasn't God talking to him, it'd be the fairies. But she is the one who buys into it and comes yeah. up and stuff. She also delivered my first favorite line, which is on the subject of marriage and sex. I just lie there and think about my canning. <laughs> 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 but that one is played for laughs there are so, quite a few lines that are genuinely played for laughs I think yeah, yeah I got one more that uh, is, is funny but I don't think it's intentionally it might might be the boy is stubborn and as mulish as a sheep <laughs> <laughs> I like it when Willa and uh, Powell tie the knot and I guess they're staying in a hotel on their, uh, their wedding night and Willa like looks in Powell's mm. pocket, pulls out a flick knife. She looks at it, flicks the knife and goes, oh, men. Those men and their flick knives. <laughs> and then there was a, a line after Willa had just been speaking to Powell and maybe she, maybe they'd talked about the money being in the river, perhaps, something like that. And she just goes, I feel clean now. My body is just a quivering with cleanness. <laughs> I've got that as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't cleanness. And then the last one is uh, the woman who takes in the children, and uh, she's just shot Powell, and the police have arrived. And she goes, uh, Mind where you shoot now. There are children here. <laughs> <laughs> a bang, 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 bang. <laughs> it wasn't don't shoot, there are children here. Just mind where you shoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> After Powell meets the recently widowed Willow Harper, he sets about charming the townsfolk and Willow. With only John resistant and suspicious of him, Powell overhears that John knows the location of the money, marries and murders Willow, dumping her body in the river and sets his sight firmly on the children and the location of the cash. The children escape his clutches and travel downriver into the open arms of Miss Rachel Cooper, who offers them sanctuary. When Powell eventually arrives at a doorstep, Miss Cooper, herself religious, immediately sees through his deception and runs him off her property with a shotgun. Uh, so what do we think of Preacher's plans? Two florets of broccoli. Two florets. That's a low bar, I believe. It's the equal low bar with Batman 1966. Oh, OK, OK. So he, he's been quite successful up until this point, though, hasn't he? Um, he's murdered about twelve women, and he's got away with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not judging him based on his uh, his earlier murders. This is all based on this pl- this plot to get the money. I just think mm. it was it was wild. He had zero patience. 
Well, I don't want to go into it because I'll go into it in my plan, but with kids, <laughs> you just need to take a little bit more time, like an hour more perhaps, yeah. and you'd been all right. Uh, he just kept flipping out. He shot himself in the foot again and again. Perhaps it was his overconfidence from his previous murders and his... And obviously, he thinks it's going to be an easy thing to find the money, so probably he gets frustrated, and that's why he starts slipping up. And uh, Yeah, he's also a psychopath, so, I mean, there is that. But, yeah, I just don't think it was very well planned out. And when he had to improvise, he just dug himself deeper and deeper. So he only earns two broccoli florets from me. Wow. Gaz? Much the same as uh, Ben said. It's not, not much of a plan at all, is it? His plan is, I'm going to get that money, and then... He just flounders. He kills. He, he kills Willis straight away, basically, which is a fucking stupid <laughs> mistake. And then his plan is basically to try and charm the kids when it's quite clear that John is immune to his charms straight away. So yeah, not not a good plan. Mm. Craig. Well, the only thing I'd say about that is him murdering Willer is the one thing that he does get away with there, mm-hmm. and he I think feels for two reasons. The first reason being she's she's got the measure of him from seeing his interaction with her kids that he feels that he has to kill her at that moment and the other being that he's you know out of his mind batshit crazy sitting in his own shit stained undies wanking uh, all, all that <laughs> crazy <laughs> so I think that, uh, that part isn't the, the downfall of his plan but like like the others have said if he'd just taken a little bit more time with the daughter alone and not like completely scared her for no apparent reason. Yeah, mm. she would have told him where it was within. Mm. I think yeah, you're right. About an hour, and he could have had it. So yeah, awful plan. Worst plan we've seen so far. But yes, I'm surprised that it's on the level with the the Batman the movie plan because <laughs> next to but well, I can next to that. next to this preacher guy. Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, and Penguin look pretty fucking sane. It only gets to the same level because uh, Harry Powell wasn't sending up fucking skywriting saying, I'm coming to get the widow and the cash. 100%. <laughs> if he had the means to do so, he would have. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, skywriting hadn't been invented at the time. So I'm sending up a message to you, Lord. Here it is. <laughs> what wears black and murders widows? This guy. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. After being scared off the property, Powell returns the same night to stalk Miss Cooper and her children. After receiving a face full of buckshot from Miss Cooper's shotgun, he runs disorientated into a barn. He is found the following morning by state troopers. He is tried and found guilty, chased by a lynch mob out of the courthouse, and, with his execution delayed, the hangman promises him they will meet again. The plot thickens. Or does it? Can our panel do any better? Will the god of evil schemes bless their plans and deliver them from the hangman's noose? Let's find out. Ben, please tell us what kind of local business the preacher will be opening. And I'm assuming it has something to do with it. (laughs) Well, I might surprise you this week. There's a, not a business in sight. Oh my goodness. What will the folk of that town do? So Harry Powell wants the cash, but as we mentioned earlier, his impatience cost him dearly. Everyone knows good things come to those who wait a bit. That's why I'd play the medium term game. Sure, I'd marry the salty old widow and move into the house, but that's where the similarity to the original plan would end. 
playing the doting husband and stepfather for a week or so. I'd wait for everyone to be asleep one night. Then I'd quietly creep down to the cellar. There, I would dig out an old pair of the deceased father's shoes. I'd take them upstairs, open the front door, and place the shoes nearby. Then I'd go to bed. The next morning, the house would be full of speculation about what could have caused the strange happening. I'd dismiss it and deny it, telling them it was nothing to worry about, and things would soon settle down. The next night, I'd do the same thing, but this time I'd leave the shoes outside the children's room. Again, the next morning the children would speculate with mother. I'd be dismissive until someone mentions the possibility of it being the spirit of the deceased coming back to visit. Then I'd make as if to speak, but stop myself before walking out of the room, seemingly deep in thought. That evening at the dinner table, I'd say, although it's unlikely to be a spirit, the happenings are mighty strange, and I'd propose an experiment. We'd leave a trail of flour from the front door to the children's room, carefully leaving space at the sides for me to walk, and then I'd explain that we'd use the flour to see if anything is entering the house at night. The next morning, the family would awaken to find the front door open and footprints in the flour leading to the children's room and the shoes themselves would be at the foot of the children's bed. At this point, the family would be freaking out, but I would be the voice of cautious reason. If this is the spirit of Ben Harper, I would declare, then he clearly has something he wants to tell us. And although this goes against my churchly sensibilities, I propose we try to communicate with him. He is the children's father after all. I would then lay out a Ouija board on the table and have the family gather round. With the curtains drawn and only a candle lit for atmospheric lighting, I would begin. Everyone placed two fingers on the glass piece, I would instruct them. Oh, spirits from beyond the veil, we beseech thee. We seek contact with one who recently you took into your bosom. We seek Ben Harper, father of John and Pearl. The glass piece would quiver because I would shake it with my fingers. He is here, I would confirm. Oh, Ben, we thank you for your presence, and we beg forgiveness for the restless state in which you dwell. Pray, if there is something we can do to alleviate your woes and put you to peace, we beseech thee, tell us and it shall be done. Slowly, the glass piece would move. J-O-H-N-P-E-A-R-L And on it would go until it spelled out, John, Pearl, I'm sorry. The money is too much burden for you to bear. I cannot rest until I know you have shared the burden and the location. Harry is a good man. He will help you. Tell him where it is hidden so that I might rest peacefully. If John doesn't crack, then Pearl certainly would. And I'd be dancing to the tune of 10,000 Depression Era dollars, which incidentally would get me almost 77,000 cans of hindbake beans or 200,000 bottles of Coke. I thank thee. <laughs> okay. Initially, I was going to start upon, are there definitely shoes in the basement? What are you going to do if there aren't shoes in the basement? There's always shoes in the basement, Craig. And also, if you if you, if you you tell kids that a ghost's coming in the night, are they going to sleep and let you fuck about with the flower? I think they'd be up all night. But then I realized... There's kids. They sleep. Kids sleep or anything. None, none of that matters because... Your plan only starts from the time of the Ouija board, really. So you don't need that other stuff. You could just get a Ouija board and say we're going to contact. So I thought, I can't, I can't pick a party planner. I can't. But <laughs> the church expressly forbids 
divination through the use of Ouija boards, and I think that's where your plan will fall apart. Because any religious people... He's would, a psycho. Yeah, but any religious people buying into the idea that he's some kind of preacher, seeing him using divination to summon spirits would be like, you're not a preacher. I think you recall the line explained in a very George Lucas-like manner, the line where I said, although this goes against my churchly sensibilities, I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I solved it with one line. Just talk with one line. I do take issue with the extremely long letter that was projected through the Ouija board and they'd be going like all around the letters going, fucking hell, <laughs> how many fucking letters are in this? <laughs> that would have been insane. <laughs> Can someone please take notes? My finger's getting tired. Shut up! (laughs) Very good. Well, there's a lot to consider there. So thank you, Ben. Gaz, would you like to tell us your musings? Can do. (laughs) Wait, let me take a breath before we start. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I need one member of the panel of peril to time me for one minute at the start of this, if possible. Right. Ready? Steady? Go. So I'm just going to talk for a quick minute before going into my plan about toast. (laughs) Now, the way I have my toast is I set the toaster to about three and a half. Sometimes I go to four. If the bean's on toast, you want it on four. You want it a bit darker. Good things to have on toast. Beans, like I've just said. Just butter. (laughs) Melt some butter into it. It's nice. Softens it up. If you're feeling a bit different, what you can do is let the toast cool, then spread the butter and it doesn't melt. And that's that's actually quite different. Jam, strawberry jam. It's a nice topping on toast. Kids like that. Other jams are available. Marmalade. I like marmalade. My kids don't. They don't like the bits. I love the bits. And of course, my favourite is Marmite, which is quite a divisive uh, topping to have on toast. And that's a minute. Okay, on with the plan. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I speak of toast is that, as the four of us know, kids love toast, don't they? (laughs) Oh my God, they bloody love it! Brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. The first part of my plan is the same as Harry's in the film. Marry Willa in order to get close to the kids and therefore the $10,000. Crucially, though, I wouldn't then just slit her throat and shove her into a lake in a car. No, no, no. I would love her like the precious God-fearing cherub she is. I would shower her... In toast? I'll do that bit again. (laughs) The toast's coming back, don't worry. The toast's coming back. I would shower her, flower her and make both her and those adorable little children a sumptuous banquet banquet fuck make both her and those adorable little children a... i would do that whole section again if i were you yeah because you're giggling that whole that whole sentence from <laughs> okay. i would shower her flowers her that's amazing i would shower her flowers her <laughs> And make both her and those adorable little children a sumptuous banquet of toast each and every morning and night. But what would I top their toast with, I hear you ask? (laughs) None other than Marmite, or an American equivalent because it wasn't particularly common in America at that time. Now, I can hear the peril pals at home saying, but Marmite's an acquired taste, Gaz, isn't it? It is. And I will force them to acquire it, so stop looking for problems instead of solutions and just enjoy the show Diabolical Evil Schemes Done Better. Marmite, you see, 
is already quite a salty product, and so they would likely not notice the extra salt that I would be adding to the delicious black goo on every <laughs> serving. Extra salt that would slowly poison all three to death over the course of ten years. I slash Harry would intermittently casually ask for the location of the money, saying that the Lord could put it to good use by building a church or something. The precocious little turds would decline, but Harry would continue playing the long game. I would also invest a small sum of money in a German shepherd and dog, not an human being, and begin training it to sniff out the old paper money. Also, sit, lie, roll, heal, etc. <laughs> Knowing that... <laughs> knowing that the money must be on the grounds of the family home somewhere it wouldn't take long for iron mike that's the dog that mike tyson would take his name from in real life (laughs) it wouldn't take long for iron mike to locate the ten thousand dollars doesn't matter where it is in the teddy in the bayou up somebody's ass iron mike would seek it out quick sharp and let his master know sharp quick That would leave plenty of time for Harry to luxuriate in the slow salt poisoning of the family, salivating at the thought of telling them exactly what he had and the fact that he knows where their biological father-slash-husband's ill-gotten gains are. As their digestive tracts and kidneys gradually dehydrate to a critical degree, Harry would not let on. No. He would wait until he took their last breath before letting them in on the horrifying truth and would then look on in amusement at the looks of betrayal and misery on their faces. Like H.H. Holmes, he would then have an extra, extra final laugh by stripping their flesh (laughs) and selling their skeletons to a doctor's surgery to facilitate referencing and to make it dance and jiggle when nobody is looking. (laughs) Wow. Holy shit. Right. uh, Wow. Craig, you look like you've got something to say about that scheme. <laughs> I've got a few questions. I mean, my, my first hole to pick, if you like, is the best way to make toast is to put it in on zero once, <laughs> let it come out, turn it around, switch holes, put it back in again, because part of the toasting process isn't just heating the bread, it's also drying it out. So that initial zero heat thing is dehydrating your toast. And when you put it back in for the second zero thing, it comes out perfectly even and golden. Well, quite ironically enough, I think I've just had a religious moment. I'm going to try that straight after we finish recording. <laughs> but then the other the other problem I have is that this guy seems to be incapable of, of that kind of patience. He just loves killing women so much. He does. He's got to murder him. Plus, over the course of 10 years with a family of four, you're going to spend 10 grand easy, especially if you've got to buy a German shepherd and teach you to sit, roll over, etc. The equivalent of 10 grand today is like $180,000. The time frame is quite malleable because I looked up salt poisoning, which went onto my wife's Google feed, which <laughs> gives a bit of an explanation to be had. <laughs> um, and you can, you can po- salt poison someone to death from anywhere between one day and 10 years with the result I came up with. So I, I thought, oh, I'll just go 10 years then. <laughs> One day must be like spooning it into their mouth, going, eat it, eat it. It's a lethal dose of salt. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. My problem is that I don't think there was anything like Marmite in Depression era America. Mm. Treacle? Yeah, that'd be harder to mask the sh- salt, wouldn't it? <laughs> do you not like salted caramel? No, like, oh, a bit of salted treacle. Mm. <laughs> On toast. I've just had a religious <laughs> moment. I'm going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> Marmite wasn't invented until 1975. Oh, that's not right. 
No, uh, no, no. You're so fucked. Turner's already just put a big cross across your plan there. That's not right. Oh, sorry, mate. Uh, oh, sorry. No, it's uh, no, it was nineteen o two. Sorry, launched in UK in nineteen o two. Marmite is there. You go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It says nineteen seventy five there. So why wouldn't you look at? But if you look in the very bit, it's at nineteen o two. South yeah. Africa. Marmite, Marmite South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah, launched in the UK in nineteen o two. Oh, South. Why the fuck is it giving me South Africa? It's going off your normal Google history, so must be what you're normally looking at. <laughs> sorry, just one more, one more point from me. You said you would wait until they've taken their final breath to tell them. Oh. Yeah. Taking, taking the well, final breath. Well, this looks like your final breath, family. They have... <laughs> <laughs> you still got to rush through quite an explanation there, haven't you? No, you can just say, it was me that poisoned you and I've got the money. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please note that down that I'm, uh, I'm satisfied with the answer. <laughs> the only question I have, Gaz, is do you like Marmite? I bloody love Marmite. Excellent. Well, you should know what colour it is then, because you got the colour wrong. It's brown, not black. Yeah, technically, but when it's in the jar, it looks black until you spread it. Technically, is the best kind of correct, because it's really, really correct, isn't it? When you're talking about my Marmite, it don't matter if you're brown or black. (laughs) 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 But, um, yes... You have additional marks for liking Marmite, but you also have some deducted for your getting the colour wrong. So you're probably just about where you were before. Swings and roundabouts. Excellent. <laughs> right, moving swiftly on. Craig, last plan, but can you dazzle us? I just want to preface this by saying that while I myself am not a person of faith, I oh, don't God. enjoy seeing Here people of faith mock. Pretentious. Uh, I- <laughs> Shut it, Churchy Lefemme. <laughs> Being an atheist shouldn't be a badge of honour, and the atheist bus campaign is as much of an organised religion as any I've ever seen. So with that in mind, blessed are the pure in heart, we are told by Rachel Cooper during the film's opening, for they shall see God. Beware of false prophets, she goes on, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Rachel Cooper isn't making this stuff up off the top of her head. In researching The Night of the Hunter, I discovered these passages are from a book called The Bible, which makes reference to the aforementioned God. (laughs) In the Judeo-Christian pantheon of deities, God is a being akin to Thor or Loki, who plays tricks on mortals to test their love and faith, like telling them to kill their kids or something or drowning almost everyone. Funny, funny stuff. (laughs) In the New Testament, which acts as both sequel and soft reboot to the original Bible, the epistle to the Philippians tells us, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This suggests that prayer can be thought of as a sort of tacit agreement with God to ask for favours occasionally. The Reverend Harry Powell is not shy about communing with God, even complaining about their pact to murder as many women as possible, being a bit ambitious, lamenting aloud that he can't kill the world, but also being sure to thank God for throwing him the odd bit of bunts to pay for gasoline or pomade. So, in the Reverend's well-worn shoes, souls near worn through from his holy mission, I would simply pray to God to ask him where I could find the ten grand, promising to return the favour, 
by taking up Noah's righteous cause and drowning every single resident of Clarksburg, West Virginia in the Ohio River in what will be lamented as a terrible baptismal accident. Okay. It's putting a lot of faith in faith. Relying on the will of God. Yeah, that's it. Is that considering you're an atheist, you're putting a lot of power in something you do. I am not me in this scenario. I am Harry Powell. That's true. I believe and I have faith and I'm crazy. So I think prayer is a sound plan. Mm. So there you go. Ultimately, he's, he's not doing God's work, though, is he? And doesn't protect him in the end. He is doing God's work by drowning everybody in the town in the Ohio <laughs> River. <laughs> it's some t- it's going to be, is he going to like build a dam out of dead bodies? I, don't, I didn't think that far ahead. I got to the end of the plan by that point. Could, though, if you want him to. That's a deal breaker. Like some sort of macabre beaver. Like something out of Bloodborne. I like the sound of that dam. God damn. God damn. God damn. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) How does drowning everyone in town get the money? No, that's after he's got the money. That's just him saying, God, if you tell me where to find that $10,000, I will do your work by drowning everybody in the Ohio River. Oh, right. Okay, okay. <laughs> why, but why does he think all the God wants all those people drowned? You tell me. Why does he think God wants him to kill women? But he's read the parable of Noah's Ark, and he knows that God's biggest act of cleansing the earth is to drown almost everybody, but keep mm-hmm. around enough people to have incestuous relationships, mm-hmm. and you know a giraffe and a, and a girl giraffe that are brother and sister, and all that kind of thing. Right. Okie dokie. Anything else to add, anybody? Just want to say again. If you were a person of faith, I respect that. Right. So, in summation, we have Ben's plan, which is basically to hold a seance with a complicated Ouija board message to uh, tell the kids to tell them where the money is. Gaz's probably simpler plan of toast-based poisoning (laughs) with excessive Marmite, which is uh, obviously down to pure taste because some people like a thin spread of Marmite, others like a bit more. I would argue that the dog is the main part of the plan. Yeah, the dog is the plan. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Mike, which Mike Tyson took his name from. (laughs) Okay, so I'll say uh, Gaz's plan involving toast, salt poisoning, Marmite, and uh, an Iron Mike named uh, dog. Try again. (laughs) <laughs> dog, dog named Iron Mike. Dog named Iron Mike. Scratch that. Reverse it. Yeah, sorry. I've just I've just written words down for my notes. So I didn't write any complete sentences, so I'm just trying to tack them all together. You just wrote the word word down. <laughs> words, words, words. That's all they're saying. <laughs> Gaz's plan involved toast, Marmite, salt poisoning, and a dog called Iron Mike. Craig's plan, which is relying on the power of God, to see uh, Preacher Pal through it. Flimsy. <laughs> well, they all have their merits, and some more contrived than others. This week's winner is Gaz for his super-duper toast <laughs> canine-developed plan. Well done, Gaz. Thank you. Yeah, I think if you strip away all of the absolutely batshit elements and just say my plan <laughs> is to get a dog to sniff out the money, that's actually the, the plan that makes the most sense. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. But it's 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 the it's the batshit elements that actually swung it for him because I like Well, you know, you got to have some batshit elements. <laughs> I don't know if they sell uh, Marmite in the Netherlands, but if they did, I'll go and buy some in a bit and probably have it. Mm, I've got so, some. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Treat yourself. Set your toaster to zero mm. and do it. What was it twice? Yeah. So when it comes out, the other thing is you've got to take take it out, turn it around, and put it back into the opposite holes, and that's how you get consistency. <laughs> do you talk to your toast as it toasts? <laughs> <laughs> Do you find it browns better when you talk to it? When you sing it a lullaby. <laughs> why, why would I? That's it. That's it. Not long now. <laughs> so, Gareth, what film will we be dissecting next week? Well, for my pick this time around, as we all know, I like a bit of horror. Giving it a bit of a twist this time. It's going to be a musical. We're going to be watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah. Ah. Yeah, bloody nice one. That's going to be super. (laughs) 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 And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed yourselves as much as we did. If you liked what you heard... Please subscribe and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pods, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Most importantly, tell a friend. You can follow us and talk back to us across social media. Just search for Diabolical Pod. Until next time, we abide and we endure. My favourite black and white film is Clerks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ben, and my favourite black and white is Schindler's Lisp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gaz, and my favourite black and white film is Top Gun Maverick. With the colour turned down. Oh, nice. <laughs> my favourite black and white film is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Justice League. Justice <laughs> is black and white or whatever it's called. <laughs> it's something like that, isn't it? <laughs> My favourite black and white film is any CCTV footage. <laughs> <laughs>